Welcome to Tech Heroes for Good podcast. Here we chat with amazing women leaders all across the globe and share their incredible journey, passion and motivation. We talk about two things that we love the most, technology and sustainability. I'm your host Saurabh, a sustainability and a climate change advocate, and this is TSG. Let us begin. Our guest today is Sana Alpatri. She is the co-founder and CPO at Sage Fund. It is a Berlin-based startup that offers sustainable digital asset management, ensuring that sustainable investing is easy and accessible to everyone. Apart from being the co-founder, Sana is also a licensed financial advisor and a graduate in psychology. Very warm welcome to our show, Sana. I have already shared your professional journey with our audience. Could you share something about your personal life? How Sana is as a person? Where did she grow up? And what motivates you? Sure, happy to share. And yeah, also welcome to you, of course. So a bit about myself. Um, yeah, so I grew up in Germany in a small, smallish town near Frankfurt. And my parents are originally from Iraq. So I'm the daughter of immigrants. And after, yeah, after that, I moved to England to study um, psychology. And then I decided to go to Berlin just with dreams I guess um, and yeah my big goal was to just be in Berlin and then I took it from there when I arrived I kind of networked my way into my first job I'm really passionate about art and uh, contemporary art I also love to dance so I'm into uh, modern and contemporary dance I'm I love uh, vegan food and vegan cooking um, yeah, I love to travel, of course, and I'm a pretty big nerd. I like reading uh, books about history, biology, uh, politics. Yeah, almost everything. And of course, um, psychology. It's one of my biggest passions. It's also what I studied. And I'm really into cognitive science, neuroscience, social science. Um, yeah, personality, psychology, all of that. So yeah, I also definitely analyze people quite a lot and myself. Yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting, Sana, what you just informed me, because, uh, you know, you, you're a licensed financial advisor. And yeah. uh, but but prior to that, you have you've done your BSc in psychology with cognitive science. And these are all jargons to me with, with a I have no idea what that means. So I want to ask you, because you said that, you know, you were born in Germany, right? Uh, you yes. were born in Germany or? No, no, actually I was born in Iraq, but my parents ah, okay. were already yeah. living in, in Germany and my dad was in Germany since the 70s. But yeah, I was born there. Um, yeah, so that my, so that it's very, it's easier for the relatives to visit. But yes. Oh. <laughs> That's interesting. And and what 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 made you move to? Uh, I mean, you said that you guys uh, moved to UK, to the UK and then you came back to Berlin. So what led to that transition? Like, oh, what it's, made you guys... it's only me who moved to the UK. But yeah, so I wanted to to leave Germany and to um, experience a more international environment. Where I grew up in Germany, it's not that international, though. It's it's uh, it's been it's been changing a lot, but yeah, I really felt that I wanted to be somewhere where I can um, speak with people from different countries and sort of get out of my bubble. So that was my main motivation. Yeah. Interesting. I think and Berlin is the place to be. I mean, this is as international as it can get. Yeah, exactly. And I would. I would what you just told me that you being a nerd and you love dancing, contemporary and 
then you're you've studied psychology now you're in fintech it's like there's so i mean your personality is so multifaceted and oh, i think that you also yeah you also do modeling fun modeling I've, for... i did some modeling yes yeah so yeah. i mean calling you uh, yourself a nerd it's it's an understatement i mean you are i don't know you 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 have such an uh, um, extrovert personality and i think that that helps in in making uh, you know generally entrepreneurs you talk about if i take like very cliched examples of elon musk right if you talk about elon musk or if you talk about mark zuckerberg they are all tagged as nerds but then of course there's some element of their personality which comes out and open and then then there are other people who are not as nerdy as they are and they end up following them and working for them so tell me what what did you feel as uh, when you were as a kid did you also get ostracized from your yeah. group and then your yeah. classmates and then you were like hey <laughs> there's a nerdy girl <laughs> okay tell me more about it i would love to know yeah yeah i think i kind of rediscovered um the you know i, I mean i was always into art but like like a big thing about why i do all these things is because i'm a really curious person you know so i like to do a lot of different types of things because each thing can teach you something surprising so this is why it may seem a little bit random all the things i do but but it's more like sort of a passion about like understanding things and understanding others so when i was a kid i was definitely um really into books and into like doing like science experiments and like sewing clothes for my dolls and stuff like that and yeah i would always be perceived as really weird because i'm i had like a friend group and we would like do a lot of crafting and people just thought that's really not cool you know so they would sort of make fun of us a lot <laughs> and then of course if you have good grades and um like I was really conscious in school, like always trying to be performing really well because um, I'm I'm an immigrant kid, and it's like there's a lot of pressure on you to to really fit in. And then people were also making fun of that, you know. So yeah, I definitely didn't fit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, being an immigrant myself, I can I can so relate to that. I mean, I haven't been through that that phase that you might have gone through as a kid but then as a grown up adult at times you face racism in a, in a foreign country and especially if you're if you don't belong to the community in terms of if you have a different uh, color of the skin and there are different biases that people go through but then i i think my my experience has been so wonderful here in berlin anyway we we can talk more about it but then i would love to know uh more about you as like you know when when you moved to germany right so what excited you as you mentioned that you know being an international city and but i also know that there are few negative aspects maybe calling it negative aspect will be a way too much but then there are challenges for for being mm -hmm. an entrepreneur like you know there's this red tapeism yeah. and the government not being so tech savvy and then there's so multiple forms of mm. businesses like they can be gmbh ag and like you know and at times mm -hmm. it 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 overwhelms the entrepreneurs especially the first time entrepreneurs so what according to you could be the solution to ease this process or you know for other entrepreneurs who are just starting their journey or who are migrating to yeah, yeah 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 makes sense um i don't think i 
Well, let, let's say like that. I think there are already great solutions. So I think it's just the people here being a bit more open-minded that other processes can work. So I think Estonia has really great um, systems for setting up new companies. It's all digital. Um, even the UK, they, they, they have pretty decent processes. Also the US. So I think maybe Germans should maybe be a little bit more open-minded that to, to try other processes that are also like safely, they're very concerned with like risk and safety and that there's no fraud. Um, but those countries don't struggle with these things. So maybe we should be a little bit more, yeah, more open, take a little bit more risk um, with the upside of creating more innovation and creating a more welcoming place for entrepreneurship. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely agree. And as I said that, we were just talking about that, how um, different cultures and different traditions, it just sort of translates into the operations related to a particular country or a government because yes. the government is made up of the people same people right and of course i understand the red tapeism and the bureaucracy and i think yesterday uh, itself i was just speaking with one of my friends and we were just talking about that you know at times it's so smooth although there's lots of red tapeism but then things when they're so structured it makes someone like others people life so easy that if i have an appointment at 10 30 the the interview will start at 10 30 and then mm. within a given time they're we're very particular about that so yeah that's that's one thing that that i really admire about uh germany and uh, the government and the whole startup ecosystem it is it is so great and it is so open in terms mm -hmm. of you know giving out information to anyone who's seeking that information so i want to ask you what has been mm -hmm. your experience like you know in one of the interviews you have mentioned that um and i quote that you experience both sides of the equation when you're founding a company mm -hmm which is very intense experience. It's always a bit of all or nothing. So what did you mean by that? Could you elaborate? Yeah, it makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, my experience, so there is like the personal experience about, you know, building the product, um, just covering your market and your customer. And this is much more in your control. So I would say there, there I feel it feels much more like all or or nothing because you're sort of you're starting out with some hypotheses, you have some hunches and intuitions, you see some data and you look at the facts and and the status quo and then you have ideas of what you should do and you like test them and sometimes they work incredibly well and sometimes they don't. So if you're trying to like scale a company, then then it's not enough that it sort of works. Like it has to really work. You know, you really have to feel that that's well received and you get the engagement and the signups and the interest and the invitations. So, so yeah, it it's not enough to just have something like sort of work. So this is why I feel it's it's all or nothing because you only get the growth when things are are hitting the nail. You know. No, I absolutely agree. I mean, being an entrepreneur, uh, and that's that has been your experience, and I can absolutely agree with that because most of the people that I've spoken with, all the guests that have come on this podcast, they have shared something similar. What what you just explained to me, and on that note, I would like to ask you that you know what are you trying to do? So if you can just talk a little bit about uh, Sage Fund and just what are you trying to um, do with your initiative? 
Yeah, of course. So um, we are a fintech and our vision is to make sustainable investing as easy as possible. So this is sort of um, what we want. And we believe the the best way to, to reach people is to offer them private banking services. So essentially, um, private banking is, is really exclusive. It's um, all about human contact and it's only for people who have a million in cash to invest. And then, you know, they sit down with them, they help them understand their, their goals, they help them structure their, their finances and their accounts. And um, yeah, they look at their financial situation. And then based on that, they get recommended investments that help them um, yeah, that basically fit in their lives. And this is what people actually need to really seriously in, in, uh, in, invest larger sums and to feel comfortable building uh, wealth through investments. But that's not at all what people are being offered. You know, right now, if you open an account with like a broker or a trading app, it's just a marketplace. It's, it's open and you can buy whatever you you are looking for, but you really have to know what you're looking for. And that is a big, big hurdle for people. They don't know how much to invest. They don't know what they should buy, how much to buy of it, how long to keep it, how how all the investments like fit with each other. Um, how does it fit with my goals? And all of those questions, they don't get answered. So this is a huge pain point. And yeah, and we are trying to through digitization of private banking services um, solve this problem. Interesting. And uh, I think when it comes to investing, we just, you know, we don't spare a thought about, you know, wherever I'm spending, if that particular company is, is in where is my money going? We are mostly concerned about the rate of return and the investment and the dividends, right? But we don't know that, you know, our single choices, our single cent can cause so much of damage to the planet, to the environment, to the people. And and as you know that, you know, greenwashing is a major threat to sustainability, mm -hmm. right? And keeping yeah. that in mind, the, the technical experts on sustainable finance from the European Commission, uh, they, mm -hmm. they worked, uh, I think in 2018, they, they formed this uh, technical, uh, you know, uh, group. SFDR. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And they defined a classification of economic activities in order to have a like a very robust method uh, methodology defining mm -hmm. whether an activity or a company is sustainable or not, right? Mm -hmm. And with uh, with an aim to prevent greenwashing and to help investors make greener choices. So, mm -hmm. how do you think that at Safe Fund you ensure that you no, know, there is no element of greenwashing, and that mm -hmm. you're adhering to that particular standard? Yeah, it makes sense. So, um, absolutely. So. Greenwashing is kind of two things. Um, I think it's it's important to separate. So, one type of greenwashing is you are being misled. You know, so oftentimes you see, um, so like the images of like natural ecosystems, and you're told that your money is it has a really positive impact, and you have that feeling of like, wow, this this must be really green. But then you look inside the investment, and it only excluded um, like very bad businesses like weapons um, or nuclear weapons and tobacco, but then everything else is still in there. And you're like, well, this does not match what you were communicating to me. So this is for me, definitely greenwashing. But then there is another side to this, which I think is a bit more complex. And I think people are sometimes too quick to say, oh, this is greenwashing, which is um, 
they explain to you what are the exclusion and inclusion criteria. But as a, as a lay person, it's very hard for you to understand what that means. And then you, you then look in the investment and somehow it doesn't match your own personal image of what is sustainability. You know, so like what you believe is sustainability is sometimes not the way the criteria are structured. And then there is a mismatch. And I think this is a communication issue also from the finance industry, but also an education issue from the average consumer. So this is why the um, the the um, e, uh, EU is just classifying things in like a regular fund, light green and dark green. So it's much easier to comprehend. Um, yeah, so this is kind of how, how it is. And for us, we have a combination of light green and dark green investments. And that has a lot to do with the way we are, yeah, basically structuring your investment. So. Of course, if you're investing, it is very important to look at the returns and the risk and um, all the financial criteria. I mean, after all, this is not charity. So if you were to purely focus on impact, you would have to donate, right? So we are in the space where people are planning to retire with this money or they're planning to reach financial goals. And then on the other hand, of course, we have the, the sustainability criteria. So we try to... Um, basically create an, an investment that um, covers all the major world regions, all the major industries and all the major asset classes so that you really have everything you need. And in some of those types of investments at the moment, it's very hard to find dark green investments that meet a type of diversification or even price criteria and even accessibility criteria. So sometimes that can be a bit complicated. So we really done our best to get to get you there like 70, 80% of the way. Oh, interesting. And you know what, this is why I love talking to people, uh, calling guests, and then uh, just within 30 minutes, I get to learn so much. And also my audience <laughs> get to learn about so much that I, I have no idea what light green and dark green is. I'm okay, definitely going I to can, research more. I can explain a that little bit That would be, more. yeah. Please yeah, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So let's start with the dark green. I think it's a bit easier to understand. So dark green are really investments who have a priority on the investments um, having having a form of positive impact so that the exclusion criteria are extremely um, strict and they also only invest in companies who have who are like top leaders in their industries right so mm, um there you would really be very selective um also you would have to do stakeholder in, in engagement. This means that the fund managers, they choose companies and they buy a big stake, they sit on the board and they tell those companies, hey, you need to improve or we are watching you. And they work really closely with them. And it's sort of a much more involved thing. And also the selection criteria are much more complex, much more um, like focused on certain sustainability goals or social goals. Yeah. So these investments often um, don't really focus on, you know, how does that fit into a portfolio that you have like for a retirement, because that's not what they're thinking about. You know, they're really thinking about the selection of of leaders. So this is like sort of dark green. And I would say the light green investments is you take a common market like 
the American market, um, where you have the biggest companies, let's say we have um, the S&P 500, maybe people heard about it, it's companies like uh, Tesla and Apple and Microsoft and all these big names, you know, and they go there and they look at um, and they go and exclude companies that produce a lot of CO2 or involved in cor uh, cor um, corruption scandals or who are in, in very harmful industries like coal and weapons, tobacco. And it's a bit more sort of excluding some um, and then you can be a little stricter there. You can also say, okay, we only invest in companies who are leaders in their in their industry, but you would still sort of um, look at the way that uh, industries are already defined. Like you sort of just apply like filters and they can be a very light or very strict, you know, but you're not sort of constructing a whole new way of classifying who is really the most sustainable. So it's a different approach. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I, I think I think uh, that you know whatever you you just explained to me uh, that is is a very valid and a very justified um, um, standard in a way that you know you're defining all those finances and categorizing them in a particular bucket so that it's easier for yeah. the investors to you know just just sort out their journey great yeah. i think well yeah. maybe i can give a bit more of a concrete example so people can imagine what i'm talking about i think it's a bit abstract um sure go ahead i mean yeah absolutely please go ahead yeah so let's talk about for example the big tech companies right so um so they all have to submit a lot of information about themselves and they have to be very transparent about their supply chains and they have to submit a lot of data to um, rating agencies who look at them and then they get a score and some of them they score a lot better than others and and that has a lot of reasons so for example microsoft and apple are leaders in terms of sustainability um, whereas companies like it's amazon they are laggards or huawei because they often don't disclose any information. They don't have a track record of reducing their CO2. Um, they don't buy clean energy for all of their warehouses and um, offices and, and in the production, you know? So they don't maybe recycle precious metals and so on. And then there are companies like uh, Apple, for example, who have a strong track record of reducing the water they use. They, barely use any precious metals. They recycle almost all the all the iPhones. So it's a huge difference. And yeah, and that ends up reflected in the score. But sometimes I feel people don't recognize that because on the outside, they just go, oh, a tech company is a tech company. You know, they don't really know yeah. like what's inside it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow, I think you should, I mean, whatever you just explained to me, you made it sound so simple with all these jargons that are thrown <laughs> at people, especially in sustainability, that, you know, what yeah. is what is this and that. And I think no wonder that you, I think you, you've also worked as a volunteer and you've volunteered as a, as a teacher also, right? If I'm not wrong. Yeah, that's quite a while ago. So at university, yeah, I, at university, I was um, volunteering at schools and we did um, like sex education and like mental health education. You know, this is what the teachers, they don't want to do that. <laughs> they don't want to talk about these uh, touchy subjects. And yeah, also was an English teacher in an orphanage in Nepal for uh, after finishing my, um, what's that, my high school diploma, like my abitur, I don't know. 
what yeah, I was looking at your volunteer experience and, and LinkedIn. Yes. I was mind blown. I was like, what all this woman has done in her life? And then now she's an entrepreneur. This is so great. Uh, hey, you, you're playing so many roles. It's, it's absolutely mind blowing what you're doing over there. So, okay, we have talked enough about your, um, you know, your initiative. We have talked enough about your, uh, your, uh, like, you know, your, what sustainability is. I want to talk to you about your journey as, as a woman entrepreneur, right? According to you, you've mentioned that you fully believe that women are the new face of wealth, tech, and finance. So, of course, everyone knows that there is a uh, no, underrepresentation of women in especially of course the startup scene plus uh, your uh, fintech is also a major concern and tech industry is massive there's a massive gender divide right so you have like you know of course it is it is known that you know women have been left out from the traditional finance so on that note i would like to talk to you about your journey as a woman entrepreneur and not just as as a woman entrepreneur but also as a woman of color that how isolating is it to be a woman entrepreneur in tech space uh, which is highly male dominated um i think i'm very lucky because i'm i think i'm in a bubble probably <laughs> because i don't i don't experience um i don't have a very isolating experience i think i i, I think i early on connected to networks um that were very diverse and that are full of uh, female founders. You know, I was part of the Stealth Mode program at Factory Berlin, where I met a lot of uh, mentors and um, other female founders. And yeah, and then I, I was, I'm also now part of uh, Founderland. You know, you interviewed Alina Bassi. And sort of my experience has been quite different, I think. So it's very hard for me to, to sometimes relate. But at times I do venture out of my bubble, for example we were invited to the conference of one of our banking partners. Um, it's a conference for independent wealth managers. So it was very fascinating. And there I really saw it, you know, there were a lot of um, men in their um, late forties and fifties and they're wearing suits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And then I sit there and I, I think I've maybe seen one other woman. Um, it, it was very interesting. So Vague there I really test. felt, yeah. okay, yeah. So, A little taste so, of reality over there, yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so there I felt like, yeah. ah, yeah, that's right. So this is not my Berlin kind of very progressive tech bubble. Mm. So so there I definitely saw it. So I, I would say mostly my experience has been has been really positive. And I think it, it also has a lot to do with, with the with the with, with the people and groups. And I think it's all about finding communities that that support you and recognize your potential and then sort of like leverage that to gain more credibility and say more traditional or conservative circles and if you bring a positive energy to the places where you go if you're curious and respectful most people are really nice you know they don't go oh you shouldn't be here um but of course I do sometimes feel I get that sense of people being very, very surprised or sort of asking me a few like strange questions where you feel, okay, maybe this is not polite or something, but I think it's important to, to think big and, you know, have a bit of a thick skin. And I think, especially as an entrepreneur, no matter what's your background, especially at the beginning, you know, people will not be like there with open arms, you know, you have to sort of like push to make your own opportunity ultimately. <laughs>
Yeah. No, I think I think you got to you got to have this this element of shamelessness in in you if you want to yeah. be an entrepreneur and especially I think True. as as a woman it's very important to you know shout out your uh, you know about your yes. initiative and then blow your own beagle because no one else is going to yeah. do that for you and and this is where I want to ask you that you know of course I understand that you will there are allies in in the startup uh, community who are you know who'll go um to to like limits to help you out right like example you mentioned founderland and you've mentioned um stealth mode community i think they're doing a wonderful job factory uh, yeah. berlin is doing an amazing job and most yeah, of yeah definitely yeah yeah and and especially it is focused on on women entrepreneurs and then letting mm-hmm. them expand their network and and letting them know how these small little elements which i think it's if even if you go with accelerators or incubators there are few element which are not that helpful and you have no idea because there's of, of course there's always when you're doing anything for the first time you always feel that you know if i'm doing it right or if i'm doing it wrong so yeah i think mm. they're doing a wonderful job over there so uh, yeah great i mean that 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 answers it absolutely correctly so um okay so now i just uh, you know i would love to talk to you more about it but then as i said yeah. you know we would like to keep the track uh, you know we like to keep a track of uh, time in our mind so um i would just have like to ask you uh, one important question because as you mm-hmm. rightly mentioned that you know as um, as as entrepreneurs the journey can be really isolating right and yeah. uh, since you have studied psychology i think you're the best person to answer this question on mental health right <laughs> you know i'll keep on bringing that again and again because this is the first time oh, ever word. i have uh, ever had anyone who has who has a background in psychology so of course the current pandemic has had a detrimental effect on everyone's mental health right mm-hmm. but um, being an entrepreneur is it's a very isolating journey you have to like you know you choose to work on the weekends and miss out on on friends birthdays and their marriages and family functions no this you should never do yeah never. absolutely yeah this is holy yeah. you can never miss those things no matter what you do you know i have yes. i have personally done so many times and i'm like ah you know what it it can happen like you know i can afford to miss out on that and and in a way entrepreneurs think that that it's very i won't say it's cool but then oh it's a part of my job i have to be productive in order to being uh, be so productive i have to miss out on those elements hmm. and later i'm very down, skeptical of that i don't believe that at all <laughs> yeah absolutely i yeah. think most of the people that i have spoken with on on this podcast they have mentioned the same thing whatever you saying they said the same hmm. thing that you know life is uh, if you're doing so much in your life um you got to ensure that you know you are fine it's your journey but then if you're not looking back how far you've come uh and i'm quoting alina basiyoya because this is where she mentioned she said that you know it's it's very important to look back in times and then just stop for a while and just look back at your journey how far you've come and then just appreciate it because if you are not enjoying your journey then i think it doesn't make any sense i mean you you're just being too hard on yourself right so great so i i want to understand from you that what do you think that you know um how how can one one strike that balance between work life or how do you do that personally i think the first thing is to accept sort of that there is not a true balance you know so i mm-hmm. think 
if you decide to be an entrepreneur, you are making a big commitment and you are setting a kind of a priority, you know? So I think, I think sometimes we can be too hard on ourselves uh, being obsessed with like finding this perfect balance and then like shaming ourselves because we cannot find it. You know, I think if you choose, yeah, to choose that path, um, you, you will be making some kind of sacrifices and you have to see with yourself if that's really okay with you. Um, and of course, it's important to be mindful about your your energy levels, what what brings you joy, like where where do you recharge um, in your life, and be very conscious of that, even even drawing it, you know. So at the beginning, I was very enthusiastic, and I definitely worked too much and was neglecting my friends and my my hobbies and interests, and ultimately was very detrimental for me and. It was not inspiring me, you know. Mm. So for me, it was important to, to you know, we are creatures of habit. So I have like pretty strict times around when I start and when I stop working. Um, I, I schedule in like when I want to see my friends and I, and I try to plan ahead and just like block off these things in my calendar and give them the space they deserve because we do that for our work all the time we we really plan it and we try to do to-do lists and our calendars and we use all this technology to structure ourselves but then suddenly in our personal life it's just supposed to all happen super intuitively and like naturally but actually it's just us not being I think maybe more responsible with our well-being you know I think it's like really really precious and like Alina said, um, you know, it's also about doing your journey in a way where you have the e emotional space to enjoy it also, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> and if you're constantly tired and at your limit, um, that's not going to happen. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more on that. Okay, so great. I think we have already crossed uh, that 30-minute mark. And uh, before yeah. we head to our closing question, is there anything else that you think that we have not talked about and you want to touch upon that topic? Is there any, any topic that you, that is dear to you? As you mentioned that, you know, you, you um, uh, were teaching kids in school about... Um, yeah. yeah, maybe that, that that's interesting. Yeah, I think one thing that is very dear to me and what really has inspired me to do in to focus on on finance and investing is the fact that actually i think the the key problem is a problem of education and psychology and not a problem of good infrastructure or cheap prices or or, or decent products yeah. you know so yeah i think like people are very financially not literate and they they have all kinds of like biases about why they don't invest and the way they comprehend investments and i think this is a space i think there's a lot of innovation that can be done so that's also one of the reasons i felt you know you don't have to have a finance background to 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 do it because the problem or the challenge isn't necessarily a finance challenge so i would love to inspire or have more people be inspired to to think more how can i bring a new innovation to to a field and actually see it as a strength you know, that you are in a way an outsider and yeah, just um, invite artists also to, to join very technical things um, and have that confidence because I believe they have a lot to, to contribute, you know? Um, yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. Because I, I think um, 
finance is something that should be taught in that should be a part of the school curriculum because this taxes and death are the two constant in everyone's life these are the ultimate truth that you can never <laughs> evade taxes you can never evade death i don't know where i've heard that i would love to give the credit but then i don't it's there somewhere at the back of my head yeah. but um so yeah it's i i couldn't agree with you more and then um i think all the buzz uh, that's happening around uh, i don't know if you're keeping a track of uh, um what's yeah. happening in cryptocurrencies it's it's going Everyone yes. is going bonkers because now, and people who, whenever I listen to anyone from uh, the the with background in cryptocurrencies, they are always saying that, of course, inflation is is going to damage everything. Like in terms of your, you have to take control of your own finances because mm-hmm. countries are printing money on a massive scale, and then of course this pandemic has had a huge impact on the money that is uh, printed, and of course. no one realizes it but then if, of course inflation is going to make a big hole in everyone's in, in pocket right and i think this is this is where mm-hmm. uh, the education of uh, finance is very important of course and sustainable finance has shown mm-hmm. over and over that you know if you talk about general um, investment uh, the traditional investors they have uh, had they've explained it that you know how how sustainable finances are way more um sort of um protected towards all these events so great on that so great okay before we we uh, move ahead to our uh, closing questions i am there'll be a very rap- fast rapid fire round i have like sort of three four questions <laughs> so let's begin okay so so i imagine you you if you had a time machine okay and if you were say 15 years old and um this 15 year old sana who's about to step out in the world and prove her worth so what is one advice that you would give her um yeah just be curious and just uh, follow what strikes your your interest mm. that's it <laughs> great okay and as a woman leader what has been one of the most significant barriers in your career personally and what do you think is the most significant barrier to female leadership it depends on the on the woman of course so i think everyone has uh, different barriers so something i noticed from my clients who are female is that they um i think they need to be more confident and just do stuff and not be so worried going to make a mistake and that people will be judging them i think it's important to just have this just do it attitude um or a fuck off attitude when something doesn't work i think yeah. this this is this would be a great help um and another one is also more like from society i think that society has to not you know so so for me personally i think a lot of people oh not a lot of people but some sometimes people uh, challenge my competency because of my gender so i think there is an assumption that because i'm a woman i understand my field less well or i'm less um my technical know-how is worse and that that is definitely been a barrier that you have to prove triple double that you know your shit <laughs> um this i don't appreciate <laughs> what's yeah. your way of proving them wrong well yeah i mean i just um cite my facts i i i like to tell them what i know when i back it and if they are persisting on their point honestly i feel quite sorry for them um it's 
it's really bad <laughs> to not be able to change your mind when you're presented with it, with evidence and I sort of turn somewhere else. So. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. I, I love it how the way you've put it. So, okay. And so I, I think that was, you have already answered my next question. I want to ask you, what is that one advice that you would give to the next generation of women leaders who are entering the male dominant profession, like, you know, fintech? And I think you have nailed, you have hit the hammer right on the nail. Yeah, so, also have, great. yeah, also hmm. they, they should have fun. And I think that uh, women have um, certain skills, maybe that, that, that they have like na naturally and also socially, they were more conditioned to to focus on them. So I think there's a lot of things that women can contribute that at the moment are missing in all of those fields. You know, like more empathy, more 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 awareness, more education, um, more focus on on impact. All these things that maybe uh, women are often better at. I think the, all these things are necessary in tech. You know, so they should feel comfortable also to enter, even if they're not engineers or data scientists, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I, I think this is where, uh, I mean, this is where, um, you know, this is where I felt the need that, you know, it is very important to, I mean, I have all the all the uh, women that I have spoken with also while I was doing my master's, I studied so much about that, you know, how, how um, there's so much of... Um, gender disparity in terms of how women treat themselves and how they look at themselves uh un unlike how men even if they're underconfident they will just go ahead and they just ask for it yeah. because this is how our society the sex society is designed that you know men have an edge over women which i absolutely do not don't agree and also to other genders i have all the respect but then in a way i think women need to be more vocal i was listening to one of the podcasts from um hbr and one of the experts said that you know it is the way we communicate in the society to men to other women and then it's just that we need to change that so great on on that note i would just like to ask you that since you you've been a self-starter yourself right i mean from moving from studying psychology to being a teacher to entering in fintech so what are the few resources that you can suggest to our listeners uh, who want to you know who have the itch to be an entrepreneur and experience exciting and sleepless nights and the chaos that comes with being an entrepreneur what are the resources that that you referred to and which helped you in your journey i think it's um network and reaching out to people talking to them being being curious just that that mindset ultimately you know that you are just curious and open and communicative i think that's that's very important. Then you can do anything. I Absolutely. I think uh, curiosities should always be your North Star, right? And it'll just take you yes. places. So great. It was Thanks. it was wonderful talking to you, Sana. Thank you so much uh, for your time. And thank you so much for being a shero uh, and the amazing work that you're doing. Thank you so much for that. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks.